in, but the heart grows by giving it out. And both are necessary for Christian growth. God's desire is for us that we would be players and not necessarily spectators. But I've been blessed and very blessed to be a part of the different uh, ministries that take place here at this church. And whether from uh, mission trips to giving out food or uh, this outreach at the, at the fair. And uh, as I said, I've, we put some high schoolers uh, out there at the fair. And it's just been an amazing thing. But one of the things I'm really, really blessed about is oftentimes when I do something or do participate in some ministry, as I uh, prepare for whatever it is that we're going to do, I love it when God shows up and teaches me something about, hey, I thought this was first. No, it is for me. And it's a, so, such a cool moment. And that happened this year. And this, at this, uh, this Kern County Fair event, I got taught something really, really cool. And I, know I wanted to share that. Um, so I'll just start with um, the, fair, the fair schedule came together differently than it did in the past in that um, I didn't have a lot of people <laughs> contacting me beforehand to say, I want to sign up. And so I was a little bit, in, uh, you know, I don't know, God's going to show up in a way. But uh, that Sunday, right before the fair began, we had a meeting, a bunch of people showed up. And we filled out the schedule and pretty much completed that whole thing on that day. So I was very encouraged in that. But um, one of the things that took place was, um, obviously, uh, we need uh, Wednesday night. Who wants to work Wednesday night? And someone raised their hand. And so uh, I had Felisa write down those names. And uh, there was a certain night, the first night, Wednesday night, uh, nobody raised their hand, so faithful Felisa wrote in her name. And, oh, thank you. Thank you for doing that. And then the following night, the same thing. She writes in her name. And, and I was under the impression because, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's been faithful in many things that she had done the fair previous years. And uh, anyways, I come to find out she didn't. And that's why I love that type of faith, to step out and just in, in faith to do something like that. It was such a cool thing to see that. But um, on, so Thursday night, she, or I'm sorry, Wednesday night, she was there. Uh, Thursday, me and my daughter were working and she came to uh, take over the shift. And um, she tells me there that um, she had never done the booth before. And she, she it was actually a little, perhaps um, not, maybe a little uncomfortable laying a hand on a shoulder of a stranger and praying with them and telling them about the love. It's intimidating. It can be, and I get that. But the fact that she took that pen and wrote her name to be faithful to do that, it was such a cool thing. But uh, uh, when she told me that she was um, hesitant to perhaps tell a stranger about Jesus, um, I said, well, let me give you, let me give you an example. Let me, let me tell you Maybe a little bit about how to share Jesus. Because I've done it, you know, a couple times before. And right as I'm sharing with Felisa about this, a young couple come walking up towards the booth. And I said, hi, how you guys doing? Oh, good. How's the fair? Good. Um, 
We have some things at the booth here. We have uh, some free candy, some pens. We have a prayer box. But even more so, what I really want to talk to you about is Jesus. And they're okay. And I said, uh, how's your faith? Perfect, perfect. Because, you see, perhaps like you, um, I've broken one of God's ten rules. He's got some rules. You're not supposed to lie, cheat, steal. Any of those, we tend, Even if you don't have memorized you know you're broken, but God loves you, and he loves me. And he, it says in John 3, 16, this is a scripture I should, and I should mention, uh, Jeff is going to be so faithful about trying to keep up with me on this, uh, on this board because I have spare, very specific notes, but I didn't put <laughs> that one. So anyways, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. That's a guarantee. It's a promise. If you receive that free gift of salvation, you get heaven. And within 20 seconds, I gave them the gospel message. I told them they're a sinner. They need to repent. And uh, 20 seconds that they're at our fair booth. And they were just, you know, would you like to receive Jesus? And they were like, uh, no, <laughs> we'll pray for ourselves." And they walked away. <laughs> and um, I said, well, let's flee. That's, that's kind of how you give the gospel message. And my daughter, who is all of 16 years old, looks at me and says, Dad, really? What? You didn't even get to know them. Well, I just gave them the gospel, gospel message. I was kind of showing flea. I, I have given the gospel message hundreds of times, and I, that's, how, that's how you do it. And my daughter's like, no, you need to get to know them. And my 16-year-old daughter is trying to tell me how to share the love of Jesus. I'm like, you know, I'm a pastor, and you're only 16? Hmm. But then I walked away, and the Holy Spirit, I told you, Mm, it's amazing. God was speaking to me through my daughter. Wow. I forgot something. I forgot to share the love of Jesus. With, I know I was being an example to Felisa, but I forgot something. I should have been, this is not just a, I uh, should have been more loving. And so I had to go back to Felisa and say, you know what? That thing at the fair I did, the, that's not how you share the gospel. Not how you do it. And it was kind of a funny moment for those uh, around. But uh, what a cool thing that is that uh, God will teach me in the midst of ministry um, how to do ministry. And so um, Warren Worsby would say, and I love Warren. If you don't know Warren Worsby, he's a, he's a great writer and does some different things. But he would say, that the older we get and the longer we serve the Lord, the more we need to work to be contemporary and not becoming relics in a religious museum. Contemporary? We need to not just do it as in, I've done this a hundred times and here's how I do it and just, hmm. No, we need to be spirit-led. And that's what's the wonderful thing about my daughter coming to me and saying, really, Dad? <laughs> She's heard me give a gospel message before, and it was never like that. And I'm so thankful that she's, she's quick to point that out. But my topic tonight, not, my timing is not, is not so good. So I told uh, Jeff that I'm either going to finish at 7.20 or 8.20, 9.20 at the latest. But if, the, if, we, if we go to like 10 o'clock, you can start flicking the lights, okay? <laughs> but... Um, so my topic for tonight is proper worship. 
true worship. So I'd like to start off with Psalm 95 in our Bible. So we can turn there. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 95. Oh, what a cool thing that David would write. Some passionate scriptures of worship. Proper worship. Verse 1. Oh, come let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I almost want to sing, but I won't do it because last time, yeah, I won't, just won't do it. But uh, it's a cool song that goes with that. But it says in verse 8, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day or as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation. And I said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. And what I find fascinating about the first eight verses that begin with a, a sincere worship of David, just, just saying, God, you're amazing. Thank you. you. Heavens and the earth you created. Ah, it's just amazing. You're amazing. But then he follows it with the warnings, as if to say the first eight verses, if they're applied correctly to our lives, we wouldn't have to worry about the other verses and the warnings. The first eight verses of worship, we wouldn't have to worry about the warnings. Heartfelt worship will keep us from deceit. And it's a reoccurring theme that happens over and over and over again at the fair. As people walk down, hi, how you doing? Um, a reoccurring theme says, I used to go to church. Has anyone heard that before from somebody? I used to go to church? What do you mean you, you, why is it that people stop going to church? On the last uh, mission trip that we went to, um, we, we drove a bus down to Tijuana. We were going to do some Rosarito, La Gloria, about different things. And... Um, Normally, it takes like five hours to drive down there. Um, I don't know if some of you drive me to like three, but in the bus, it took like seven because we stopped and had, you know, lots of trips along the way. But by the time we got to uh, the, the border, it was like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and I was tired. I'll admit it, I was tired. And um, in a in the commercial bus, you have to be in the far right. If you ever, you have to be in the far right lane because you have to get everything off the bus, and they have to scan everybody like an airport, and it's very serious on the right. As a, if you go through the middle and you're in a passenger car, 
I kind of just wave you through. Um, anyways, the guys on the right, those are the, those are the, the serious federales, and you're, and you're supposed to know exactly what to do. And so this lady who was federale came out and kind of gruff and said, um, I said, hola. And she says, how many people on your bus? Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, Mariah, how many people are here? And she's, she counts them off. Uh, 13, oh, uh, 14 with me. And, uh, this, and, he, and she's looking at me like I'm an idiot. <laughs> 14. And where are you going? And I'm like, well, we're going to... Uh, La Gloria, we're going to, uh, what's, that, what's that beach? Oh, Rosarito and Tijuana, and there's another place. I just forget the name of, I don't know, Cedros, Cedro, that's it. And she's like, oh, this guy's an idiot, and she's right. <laughs> and then she says, and what's your purpose for being here? I'm supposed to say, just, just a, what I'm supposed to say is we're, we're here for religious purposes. I'm tired, I forgot that little statement, and I said... We're here to preach Jesus. And now she's like, oh, this guy is a real idiot. And she writes that down. And as she's writing that down, she kind of, you can see her face kind of break a little bit. And she said the words I said earlier. I used to go to church. And I said to her, I know why you don't go to church anymore. I don't know how many people are on the bus, and I don't know where we're going. And I don't, you know, know many things, but I know why you don't go to church anymore. And she looks at me like, it's because of your sin. Sin causes division, and division separates people. No matter what relationship you're in, whether it be a relationship with a husband and wife, you sin, there's division, friends, you lie to one another, there's division. Country to country, there's sin, there's division. Likewise, in your relationship with God, you sin, and there's division, and you repent of those things. A little bit of that conversation took place and maybe a little more and she starts getting emotional and so last thing I said I said uh well can, can, can I pray for you and lay my hand on your and so I prayed for the you know she would have renew a renew a relationship with God and um something happened that wasn't supposed to happen obviously she's crying she went inside but I didn't get the t I was supposed to get a ticket but I put on the bus to get it x-rayed well, she didn't give me the ticket, and she went inside and was very emotional. And then the boss came out, and he was a little more intimidating than she was, and said, uh, how many people you got in your bus? 14, including me, sir. And where are you going? We're going to La Gloria, Rosarito, Cedros, and uh, Tijuana. And what's your uh, purpose here? Religious purposes. Here's your ticket. Go get your bus scanned. And so I was very clear when he, uh, when he was speaking to me. But uh, it's one of those things, um, why do people stop going to church? To say it's a sin, sin causes, that's a little bit true, that's a little bit truthful, but there's more to it, and we'll get into that. But the five, there's, I looked it up, there's five reasons people stop going to church. I just Googled it, uh, but there's kind of some practical application to this when you talk to people at the fair when you talk to people who in general number one and it's not necessarily in order they got out of the habit they missed a couple sundays and then a couple more and eventually stopped going altogether. number two they left after they graduated high school as in they were no longer 
forced to go to church because their parents stopped dragging them to church. Number three, oh, this one is a big one. They are hurt by someone at the church. Interesting idea because people join the church because people invite them. But they leave the church because of people offend them. Four, they never felt connected or the church didn't meet their needs. The church is irrelevant. Or five, they moved to a different city and they never found a new church. And there's truth to many of these. And it's a sad truth. It really is. However, I believe it goes even further than these types of examples. Hebrews 3.12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I'm going to drink a water. My throat's... Hebrews. What a cool book that is. In that it's... Hebrews is an encouraging book. It was written to the Jews at that time who were Christians, yet they were struggling with uh, certain things. Well, great encouraging word. But this specific verse, if you haven't, don't have it underlined in your Bible, that's a great one to underline. Here it is, in, again, in the New Living Translation. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turn, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Hebrews 3.14, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You know the one. God's chosen people there in the desert, they decided that God wasn't good enough to allow them into the promised land. It was that sin. It was that sin that allowed them to wander in the desert for 40 years. If only they would have had Psalm 95 to encourage them in worship. It is a lack of worship that causes deceit. If someone were to come in here tonight, and you all have just got through worship, if someone were to come in here tonight and say, I don't know, God's not real, let me tell you about evolution, or whatever kind of deception it would be, we are like, get out of here. We, we're not falling for that. However, give it a moment when your faith is failing, perhaps in a moment of weakness, perhaps in a moment of sin, that someone comes to you and says, see, you call yourself a Christian? Psst. Let me tell you that all that stuff you believe, that ain't a heart of sin causes deceit and will allow that deception to come in. And so, Psalm 95, oh, come let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. 
God, you're amazing. And let us shout joyfully to him, joyfully to him with psalms. That is a quality psalm to sit there and meditate on, to think through. God, our God is an amazing God. But it's their lack of faith would be the consequence from a lack of worship. Or perhaps they were worshiping. Were they worshiping the right things? But their hearts became hardened through sin. Or more specifically, the deceit of sin. This is what Hebrews 3.13 tells us. Hebrews uh, continues in chapter 7. Hebrews makes a reference towards this guy named Melchizedek and Abraham. The meeting that takes place there in chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to, him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. And I don't think anyone here who's never heard of Melchizedek has heard this uh, I think you guys are, are familiar with this, so I won't go too deep. But uh, just, just a, um, a reference, um, Achizedek is a, a type of Christ, an example. It may even been Christ. And so when we get to heaven, we'll know exactly who this guy was because you have some varying ideas. Is he Christophany or is he what, he's Melchizedek? We know and we just read about he's got no uh, genealogy. He's a priest, and he was a priest before Aaron, because if you want to follow that track, Abraham is there talking to Melchizedek. It's from Abraham that you have uh, the father who gives Isaac and some other sons, then the 12 come, and out of that you have the Levitical priesthood. So Melchizedek was way before those guys. In verse 19, he blessed him. Um, let's see. Let's, let me, let me, let me back up. Let's go to Genesis chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Genesis 14, because I want to examine this relationship that takes place there in Genesis chapter 14. It says this in verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, he was the priest of God Most High. In verse 19, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. And after he gave him a tithe of all, now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, 
I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High and the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread of the sandal strap, that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I may have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten. So, as I said previously, Melchizedek is an example of Jesus. And so this king of Sodom, uh, who was he supposed to represent? King of Sodom, his name is Bera, as we, if you follow the scriptures very closely. Um, but pay attention to what I'm about to say. Sodom is an extremely perverse city where all kinds of sin is practiced without shame. They perhaps even fly the, the rainbow flag. I don't know. The LGBTQRS. The, the, they raise that flag proudly at the entrance gates of that city. So I'm going to suggest to you that the king of Sodom is none other than a perfect representation of Satan himself. Probably not Satan, but the representation, absolutely. If Melchizedek is a representation of Jesus, Bera is a representation of Satan. And so after this great battle that Abram had there, where he had 300 guys go against five battle-trained uh, soldiers, five kings, he sent 300 guys to go take them out. Kind of like Gideon. So... Perhaps Gideon would read this story later and say, ah, oh, how, how amazing you are. But Abram, after taking 300 guys, wiping out 10, or I'm sorry, five kings, bringing back the goods, Abraham is met by two kings, King Melchizedek and King Bera, King of Salem and King of Sodom. He gets to share communion with Melchizedek. And he gives tithes to Melchizedek. Bera, however, offers Abraham, he offers Abraham some good stuff. What kind of stuff? Probably the stuff that would be really desirable. Stuff that may even take his attention away from worshiping God. And having fellowship with God. A shiny new, I don't know, 10 horsepower chariot or 12 horsepower, I don't know, or supersize TV? No. Gold. What is it that you desire, Abram? What is it that, you, that Satan would give you to sabotage your relationship? What is it? But notice that all Bera wants, all the king of Sodom wants, just give me the people. And the literal translation, if you want to look at that one, it's give me the souls. And you can have all the stuff that you recovered from uh, that battle. Nephesh, Hebrew. Give me the lives of the people and you can have all the stuff. And what did honest Abe say? Not today, Satan. No, he didn't say that, but he said not today. Um, even better than that, he says in verse 22, But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, 
the possessor of heaven and earth. Therefore, I will not take anything from you. Did Abraham, in worship of the God Most High, did not get deceived by Bera. In worship, as I said, proper worship will keep us from getting deceived. Why do people leave the church? Sin, as I said before. But it goes more than that. It's deception. It's deception. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But it's lack of proper worship. I would say, is the leading cause of somebody leaving the church. What does that proper worship look like? Well, we read in Psalm 95, that's a good one. Not necessarily singing with the words, um, you know, surely goodness and mercy. No, I won't sing. I, won't, I promise I won't sing. But there is, it's not about singing. Oh, it is, because it says to, to lift your voice in song. But there's other ways of worship. Abraham would give Melchizedek a tithe, worship in giving, worship in your life, how you live your life to glorify God would be worship. I, I'm going to live my life in such a way that God would be glorified in what I do. That is, in a sense, a type of worship. Failure to worship will cause deception, not Someone's going to trick you. Deception in the sin. That's what it says. John 4.23 says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and and truth. Oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a scripture to underline. That's a scripture to put on your refrigerator. To worship. To worship. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. I used to go to church, someone might say. I know why you stopped going to church. Your sin? Well, that's part of it. Failure to worship. You've been deceived because, by sin because you didn't worship properly. People worship all the time. People worship cars and uh, idols and uh, people on TV, celebrities, hobbies, or whatever it is that would cause you to perhaps not come to church on Sunday. And you lift your hands up to something that isn't God. Being deceived by such things. Mm, Psalm 63 is another one. I love this. Just to worship. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands to your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. That is a cool psalm. So proper worship will keep us from getting hardened hearts. What exactly is proper worship? What is proper worship? We talk about it all the time, and I kind of mention a couple things. 
There is a cool example of some worship that takes place in John chapter 12. And then there's other passages that talk about it as well. But six days before Passover, six days, a week before Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus came to Bethany. Or a week prior to that, Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, Jesus came back to the house. And there they made him supper. And Martha served. But Lazarus was one who was of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary, Mary who was uh, forgiven of all kinds of foul sins. Mm, Mary's like, Jesus, you are amazing. Um, my life is new because of what you've done for me. Mary's going to worship him. And she takes a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, breaks it open, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance of the oil. That kind of worship is amazing. I would love to be there. The house was filled with an amazing aroma of worship. Whew. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would later betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So in the midst of worship, hands lifted up, praising God in worship. There may be someone in the room who is just like that. You raising your hand? Oh, it's one of those type of churches. And the same type of passion that someone uses to praise God, another person's passion is to scoff and say, <laughs> Both are contagious. Passion is contagious. When you worship God with passion, with all your heart, people will continue. So we have worship leaders who, who worship God with passion. Oh, what a great thing that is. And it's contagious. But likewise, the opposite is also true. A lack of passion or a passion for the things that are ungodly to say, you're going to waste that also contagious, unfortunately, would cause others, I'm not going to lift my hand because he's not lifting his hand, and he's much cooler than I am. But Judas said this, not because he cared for the poor, because he was a thief, and he had a money box, and he used it to take what was put in it. So, a couple of points I would make is that Worship is not just a song. Mm. I love the worship that's done here today. Not just a song. It is a passion. It is a passion because of what God has done for us. That we would lift our voices in worship and awe and say, God, you are amazing. And we sing. But it's not all about that. There's also the type of worship 
perhaps you had uh, a prayer that was answered that no way this could happen by just happen. God answered a prayer when you say, oh God, thank you for healing this brother or sister or that you would provide financially for this situation or give me a whatever it is or that you thank you God for closing that door that I didn't go into whatever it is that would cause me to go astray. Oh God, you're amazing. That in awe, because God is awesome, is worship. How about in prayer? Oh, David would write that prayerful worship. Oh God, as you created the heavens and the earth. Amazing. The amount of stars is beyond count. Yet you love me. Why? Why would you love me? You're an amazing God. You'd die, you'd send your son to die for me. That also prayerful worship. Necessary, necessary for your faith that you would not be deceived. Worship and giving, tithes, amen. Uh, it helps us from being selfish. Thank you, I got all the stuff and I'm just going to keep it. I'm going to use it for needful things. But when you give, God, I, I, even if it's a, do it in worship. Not because I have to. I, mm -mm, I, I get to. I get to worship in that way. That is a cool thing to be thankful for. I get to give a dollar, a penny, or whatever. I get to because I've been blessed. What a cool thing that is. And as I said before, worship as in living your, living your life the way God wants you to. What does that look like? Mm, giving up the things that cause you to fail in your faith. Well, just a little bit of sin is okay. Mm, it's not. Whatever area that is, lift that up. God, take this from me. I don't want to do that thing. Whatever that is, give it up. He'll, and worse, God, just take this from me. I know you can do it. And so live your life to the glory of God, in those type of things, and even in the small details, but also in, in living a life in such a way, as I said before, if you worship God in such a way that is passionate, passion is contagious. People are going to say, you are all joyful and happy. Why are you joyful? It's because I love Jesus. Do you want to come to church? Would you like a 20-second gospel message? No. No, don't do that. 30 seconds. No, no I'm just kidding. Um, but living your life in such a way that would glorify God is, in a sense, worship. I, I love you so much that you've done so much for me that you'd die for my sins that I just want to glorify you in what I do. Oh, that's a wonderful way to worship God. But here in this passage where Mary would uh, take this costly oil of spikenard, she worshiped Jesus. And the smell of worship filled the room. And it, oh, how amazing that is. And I can imagine John and Peter, those guys would worship. But Judas, 
And how many people did he cause to? That's dumb. How many, how many did Judas cause to fail to that day? Not that they would lose their salvation, perhaps, but they didn't worship. Where the whole room smelled like this amazing worship. That would be some passionate worship. But there's a cool passage about this. A thing that isn't mentioned, but when the worship was finished, when the night was done, when the food is eaten, the, the, the evening is over, and people are going to go home, the worship is done. The room, the fragrance, they leave the building. And that was, some would say that was some amazing worship, and they go along their way, and perhaps they forget it as the worries and the cares of this world have quickly um, taken over. Um, Jesus. Jesus would leave that room, that building, smelling like he just got worship. Jesus had that fragrance. Man, that's cool stuff. Another person would leave the room smelling just like Jesus. Only one person, Mary, who would rub her hair as she would worship in that way. She would take it with her. So I would encourage you guys, don't leave the worship here in this place. Take it with you. Take it as if you had just been worshiping God. And people are going to say, why are you so Christian? Ah, because I've been forgiven. And the last thought before we close. Mary's worship of Jesus. She's a sinner. She is the worst of all types of sin. She's forgiven. That close worship. That fellowship. The jam time we'd call it in the youth. Jam time which is Jesus and me time. Oh so important for our faith. Would you guys just spend a moment in the morning to say, God, um, give me some word, give me some prayer, give me some insight. What, what Worship in jam time, Jesus and me time. Mary's worship there as she's rubbing Jesus' feet with her hair. Jesus said to her, hmm, not her. Jesus said to everybody, I'm going to die in three days. And I'm going I'm, I'm to die in, and three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. Mary understood that. She wasn't at the, the cross, or she wasn't at the, wasn't there to, uh, at, the, at the tomb. Why not? Why not? Why wouldn't she be there after worshiping Jesus in that way? Ah, she understood things. Perhaps others didn't because they didn't worship the way she did. Worship, drawing closer to God, will help us understand the deeper things of God's word other than the simple elements of our Christian faith. And so when I say in the very beginning, I hope and pray that God will speak to you 
more than what I'm speaking to you. I hope that's tonight, that, that, that the Spirit would speak to you in a way that will minister to you and help you to worship even more so. That you would be a Christian that would take that worship with you tonight. Don't leave it here. So proper worship will help us to have a closer relationship with the Father. It will help you to understand His will for your life. Proper worship will help you from being deceived. Ah, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are that uh, you would make the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And you designed this planet to be so perfect, yet man has corrupted it. You're an amazing God that you know all the details of every little thing, yet you love each and every one of us. Even though perhaps we're rebellious against you, you still love us. You still wanted to have a relationship with us. And so, God, tonight, I pray that if anybody here has failed to worship you in a way that you desire, that you would speak to them tonight show them how much you love them and would encourage them to have that jam time with you. That they would be blessed in their, in their faith and their understanding of how good you are. So Lord, I pray for each of these here. I pray for those online that we would draw close to you. We would pray in the spirit. We would pray to you in a way that would bless you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.